0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. (laughs) Tick (laughs) tock. Let's get this show on the road now. Good morning. How is everyone this morning? morning? Thumbs up. I hear some good mornings. I hear lots of happy chatter still, which means everybody's doing well, I hope. Uh, my name is Emily, and I'm on the preaching team here at the Vineyard. And the first thing I want to ask, which literally has nothing to do with the message, but how many of you are feeling the Christmas crunch? Christmas crunch? Anybody? Um, I got a message this morning from my son's teacher, who is awesome, by the way. This is, like, nothing against her. But she was like, remember, tomorrow's Elf Day. And I was like, no! The dress-up days. They're here all next week. We've got Elf Day. We've got candy canes. We've got twins. We've got turtle doves. I don't even know. Okay, but... So, that no, one of them is two turtle doves dressed like a twin. It's one of the days. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Well, That's why it's the Christmas crunch, you guys. (laughs) So anyway, if you're feeling the Christmas crunch, I hope that this message, I guess this is kind of relates to the message then. I hope that today, as we begin talking about peace, I hope you're able to engage with it. And I just need to be honest about something. I'm going to stand up before you all today and tell you ways that I have been wrong about my thinking on peace. Um, Of all of the the themes of Advent, peace has been the hardest one for me to consistently engage with. Uh, I feel like I could talk about hope all day long. As an eternal pessimist, I could still get up here and talk about hope all day long. I could talk about love, I could talk about joy, but when it comes to peace, I'm kind of like... That this is, this one's hard. So of course, um, it's been two years in the, a row that this has been my assigned Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I guess the Lord's trying to teach me something. But in saying that, my first task in preparing for today is to ask the Lord why, right? Like, why do I have a hard time engaging? with peace. Uh, And I think the reason is, because for me, the concept of of peace can seem really, really tentative. It can seem really provisional. Does this make sense for anybody? Uh, I ran across a story in the news this week that really illustrates my point, but is not dark or grim, just kind of a fine line to walk. So, I'm going to read it to you all and I have a picture. I have a visual aid to share. Okay. We're focusing on the thing behind the big plant. This little What does that look like to anybody? Let me let me read you the story. This comes from the BBC. <clears throat> A couple who kept a live bomb as a garden ornament have said they were sorry that their old friend had been detonated by a disposal unit. I'm reading the whole article because it just makes me laugh. The missile which had been outside the home of Cheyenne and Jeffrey Edwards is thought to date back to the late 19th century. The couple from Milford Haven, Pembrokeshire, which love it, uh, had thought it was a, quote, dummy bomb. What is that? With no charge. Ms. Edwards said she used to bang her trowel on the bomb to remove dirt after gardening. <laughs> on Wednesday, <laughs> guys, this happened this week. On Wednesday, a police officer informed the couple he had spotted the bomb and would need to alert the Ministry of Defense. Can you imagine being their neighbor? An hour later, the officer told the couple the bomb squad would arrive the next day. Jeffrey Edwards, age 77, said, we didn't sleep a wink all night. It knocked us for six. Now, I had to look that up. And that is a cricket term. So, anybody in here play cricket? Didn't think so. Okay. It knocked us for six. I told the bomb disposal unit, we're not leaving the house, we're staying here. If it goes up, We're going up with it. (laughs) The bomb was transported. Now, first of all, just like insert yourself into this narrative as their neighbor. If a bomb disposal truck pulls up in my neighbor's driveway, I'm going to finally have some outdoor chores that I am going to get around to doing. I'm going to be like, what's going on? (sighs) <sighs> I, okay, the bomb was transported to a disused quarry in Wayland's Castle, because over there they just have castles enough that some of them are disused quarries, I guess, buried with five tons of sand and detonated after tests showed that it was live, <laughs> with a small amount of charge still left. Edwards, who had lived in the street since he was three years old, added... "It's my favorite part... It was an old friend. I'm so sorry that the poor old thing was blown to pieces. Something about this story resonates so deeply with the idea of peace being tentative or provisional, especially the part where she's just like, I used to bang my garden trowel on it to knock the dirt off. Like, what? That's the point when I knew, oh, this is going in the sermon this week. (laughs) Because that's kind of how I think of peace. Like, everything's okay until it's not. Everything's okay until the lawn ornament detonates. Right? (laughs) And here's what I've come to realize. It comes down to who or what is generating the peace. Right? Uh, And I guess what I'm trying to say, this is a point where I have been Wrong. I think I put a lot of of stock in self-generated peace instead of the peace that comes from God. Does anybody else? Yeah. Uh, Self-generated peace, though, only exists in stasis, right? Uh, It only exists when the law and ornament doesn't explode. It only exists when all the bills are paid on time or paid at all. (laughs) Uh, when the kids are fed, when the sick time is is plentiful and your car hasn't broken down. But Lord help us, the cars always break down. And if you have two cars, they're going to break down the same week. (laughs) Ask me about October. Ask me how I know. That's kind of my point though. Right? Like money runs out. The kids all get stripped. But not at the same time. They get it one after the other after the other so that you miss a ton of work. Uh, Deadlines are missed. Your boss is a jerk. Your dog dies. What? In this world, you will have what? Trouble. Trouble. This is an excellent environment for self-generated peace to evaporate. For an innocent lawn ornament to turn out to be a live bomb. (laughs) So the good news I have for the room this morning is this is not the piece that we are talking about when it comes to Advent. And that is very, very good news. Today I want to talk about the word shalom. You can put it up on the screen. (gasps) There it is. Understanding peace through the lens of Shalom is like going from watching TV in black and white to technicolor, I think. I wouldn't know. Hey-oh, that was an old joke. It's going from blurry vision to getting glasses and being able to see 2020. Again, I wouldn't know because I have perfect vision. Uh, it's like it's like seeing a beautiful landscape on Instagram, but then going and seeing it in person, right? It's different. So I have a quote for you guys. This is an article that I read. You can go ahead and pull it up. Um, this was like a smart person article that I got from my seminary's library. So what you're going to need to do is take a picture <laughs> because I had to read it a few times being an average Intelligence person, um, I had to read it a few times and then come back to it, but I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it for us today. The word shalom is too big for anything in the English language. In contrast to our own use of the word peace, which might mean absence of war or some kind of inner tranquility. The biblical term is an enormously expansive and comprehensive word. Wholeness might be the best one to one synonym, but even that is terribly inadequate. The word has to do with the totality of things and the relationship of all things within that totality. That's the line that I had to be like, what, huh? Uh, with the harmony of all things, human and otherwise, in God's creation. The harmony of relationships, the coming together in gentleness of that which shares participation in the creation of Yahweh. And then later in the article, they wrote this. Shalom has to do with the well-being and prosperity of the most fully blossomed possibility for all that we are. Ooh, that's good, right? Whoever wrote that, really using their noodle. Way to go. Something else I'd also like to point out is that shalom extends to the material world around us as well. I want you to think about the view from your backyard, whether you like the view of your backyard or not. Think about the buildings you may see. Think about the people in those buildings or the fence line or the grass or the cow or the neighbor's tree that hangs precariously over your fence. The shalom of God encompasses all of it. All of it. Are we beginning to maybe understand why peace as we know it fall short of this biblical concept of shalom. Hmm. So this morning, this is a huge topic. We're just going to talk about three things. Three is what I feel like I can handle, (laughs) and what I feel like you can handle. All right, the first, shalom is not achieved. You don't attain it like some zen enlightenment situation, you don't earn it. We're invited into it. We are invited into it. Shalom flows from a relationship with God. And perhaps up to this point, you've been like, she hasn't mentioned Christmas yet. I just did. I just did. Shalom flowing from a relationship with God implies that we are able to have a relationship with God. And we are celebrating that in the person of Jesus during this season. Let's pull uh, our next verse up, Isaiah 9. We read it this morning too. Thank you, Sarah, for that. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. His government and its peace, Shalom, will never end. And I think if we were to boil the Christmas story down to its very essence, Here's what it is. We are invited into the shalom or wholeness of God because we are not complete apart from Him. Uh, St. Augustine said it this way You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in You. We are shalomless until we shalom. In the Father, so shalom is found in relationship. The next thing I want to say is this: shalom is a journey. It is a journey. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Zechariah. Zechariah is maybe one of the most underrated parts of the entire like Jesus being born narrative that's included uh, at the beginning of Luke. Um, so in Luke one, an angel told Zechariah that he was going to be a dad. Zechariah was like, my wife is old, so this is not possible. He was also old, (laughs) just so you know. But he was like, my wife is, yeah, (laughs) duly noted. Uh, He was like, my wife is old, this is impossible. And the angel was like, you want to bet? So he made him not be able to speak until his son, John the Baptist, was born. And he was finally able to speak again. He makes this beautiful prophecy. And at the very end of it, we read this in 78 and 79. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of shalom. And in Isaiah 9 too, if we could like put those uh, up next to each other. Isaiah prophesies this, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of great darkness, a light will shine. Do we sense a theme here? Pretend you're in an English class. Perhaps Zechariah, who was a priest after all, knew what was said in Isaiah. Isaiah and connected it to Jesus? And if so, what does that amount to for us today? And I think this text works on two levels. One is this. We remember that we have been people who have sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. And we are people... If you're a Christian, you are a person who has seen a great light. And the thing about light is it draws your attention to the thing that it is illuminating. And there's immense hope for us here this morning because what it is illuminating is the path of shalom. Shalom. What this means is we have not been left to our own devices. God didn't just make us and say, "Figure it out." There's peace available. You gotta stumble your way onto the path. That is not how it works for us. There is a light. We have seen it, and we know how to follow it. The second is this. I got to thinking about this this week. You know, Paul, Paul in Ephesians, uh, he tells them, "You know, you were once in darkness, but now you're in God's light." So live as children of the light. Um, And kids really carry their parents with them wherever they go. Like, my mom and I, I'm almost 38 um, next week. Uh, My mom and I can, like, walk into a store even now, and people are like, whoa, you guys are obviously mother and daughter. You know, we we just look alike. How many of you have looked back on, like, your own, like, baby pictures and been like, oh, my kids do look like me? Or you've been like, oh, my kids look exactly not like me. (laughs) They look like my partner instead. Uh, Yeah, kids carry their parents with them wherever they go. And if we carry our parents with us, our spiritual lives are the same. They are the same also. Um, I think we all realize that there are still dark places in the world. Can we agree on that? There are still people sitting in darkness. And yes, this includes people half a world away, but it also includes Taylor County and Greene County and Campbellsville and the university and the schools or insert wherever you work or whoever your kids play ball with or on. I think a great question to ask ourselves during this Advent season is how we can be practitioners of shalom by shining light toward the path of peace into other people's darkness. Here's what I want to say about this, though, because this is very, very important, but it, becomes, it comes with an implication. And the implication is that we need to acknowledge other people's darkness and we don't like to talk about that at Christmas time we're going to talk about happy stories we're ringing the bell there's warm fuzzies and there's hot cocoa and caroling and everybody's happy and provided for but the truth is that much of our adventing is done by first confronting darkness that doesn't sound very peaceful to me There are those of us in mourning this Christmas. There are people who are struggling under a heavy load. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's your coworker who you can't stand. Guys, I work from home. I'm not I'm like <laughs> implying I'm talking about anybody. <laughs> no, there's people who feel sick and who feel weary, who feel far away from the path of Shalom. They feel far away. Like, if you were to talk to them, like, God wants you to experience wholeness, they would be like, get out of here. You know? God intends for you to flourish. They'd be like, no, he doesn't. I've never flourished before. In seasons when I have felt that way, like when I most needed, what I most needed was somebody to come alongside me and to say, hey, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. There is a path to peace, and it is lit up for us, and let me show you the way. That's literally your only job, by the way. You don't have to force anybody. You don't have to do anything else. We're very low-key in this. There is a path to peace. It's lit by the Lord. Let me show you the way. Last, uh, we strive for shalom. You guys know those moving walkways at the airport? Okay. They're fun, right? Uh, if you're not in a hurry at all, I feel like you should walk next to it. Don't even get on it. If, you're, if you would like to get to your gate, but you're not, like, super late, you get on it, right? And it just, whoosh, to your destination. And then there's always the person behind you, like, I gotta get to my gate, you know, home aloneing through the airport. Well, that's the image of Shalom that I do not want you to have. It is not the moving walkway to the sky <laughs> that just peacefully takes you where you're going to end up. I kind of want to end on, on a future-facing thought on Shalom, and it comes to us out of Second Peter. I actually spoke on this last time I was up here, too. Second Peter 3.14 Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, and the things um, that are being implied here, waiting for Jesus to return, which is what Advent is all about, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish. And the contrast that really stands out to me is that of striving... To be found at peace. Does that seem a little, eh, to people? Striving is like making not just a little effort, but like a great effort, right? There's struggle involved. Uh, and if you're striving for something, you're not just going to do it for a day. You're not just going to do it for a month. If you're really striving for something, it's going to be for like, Years, like a long time. Here's what I want to say about this Shalom isn't just for when you die. It's not just the the peace and harmony that we will find, uh, you know, finally being united with Jesus in the afterlife. It is for right now. Right now. In our waiting, and in our anticipation, but I fully believe that we have to work for it. We have to strive in our waiting. And we've got to both acknowledge the realities of the world, so the troubles that we face that seem like they could upend shalom at any time. You've got wars, rumors of wars. Your neighbor has a bomb as a lawn ornament, etc. cetera but also acknowledge that the one who invites us into his peace and lights the path toward it has the final say. And he is the logos, the word of God in flesh and bone. So the beautiful and brilliant thing about Shalom is that it's always been about God coming to us first. We read it all through the Old Testament, all through the Gospels. We see it in the life of the early church and on through the centuries into this present moment, Um, but here's what's really important for us to remember is that it is already and it is not yet. It's about God coming to us first, but it's also about God coming to us again, and that's the season we're in right now. See, we're waiting for the day that shalom is established fully and completely in the earth, including your backyard. The day that God comes back to us, but our waiting is not passive. It's okay to struggle and strive and to work for it. What did God do in the garden when, he, when Adam and Eve were created? He said, tend it, right? work for it. He gave them a job and we have work as well. And it is the work of Shalom. So band, you guys can come back up. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.